So there's these different ways that we can be lost. And it doesn't matter what those ways are, someone's still looking for us. Hello, this is the Adventure to the Bible Podcast. My name is Matt. Joining with me today are your friends and mine, Tracy. Good morning. And she's right, Amy. Hello. And she's also right, Karen. <laughs> Good morning. Gracious. <laughs> we were ha- we were having a discussion before we started about how to how to win an argument with a woman, and Tracy and I both just said, "Don't try. <laughs> Don't try." Hence, they're both right. All right. Yes. But I'm not married. So as the only unmarried of this podcast, am I a member of this podcast, am I still right? I yeah, know when I was female. married, I was right all the time, but I'm not sure if I am anymore. Oh, well, I didn't realize there were caveats to this thing. I just assumed that, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Just try to cover the bases. That's all. I like you know? the weak laugh there, Matt. The weak yeah, that was definitely like a well-trained laugh. laugh. That was bad. <laughs> like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's after you get the mayonnaise wound. <laughs> <laughs> you may as well tell the joke. <laughs> I'm making Kara tell the joke. I'll get in trouble if I tell it. Okay, I'll tell it. Okay, so I found I yes. found a, a meme. And so before we were going to record this morning, I said, okay, so we're 50-50 here, men and women, and I want to um, I want to just double check, see what you guys think of this. Guys, if your woman grabs a knife while you're arguing, grab the mayonnaise, and her female instincts will kick in, and she'll make you a sandwich. It's <laughs> so wrong. So <laughs> Tracy's theory was that you would have a knife wound with mayonnaise in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, here's the problem. The, the, the whole premise is wrong because you mispronounced the word sandwich. Sandwich? Mm. Sandwich. She will make you a sandwich. <laughs> oh, okay. Let me see if I... That's my foot coming out of my mouth right now. <laughs> hang on, I, I got, I got to do something real quick. Hang on, hang on. Oh, we're we're plugging. Shameless uh, promotion coming. Uh, that is a hot beverage from my Adventure Through the Bible mug, complete with Adventure Through the Bible logo on it. I know it's everybody up. wants one of these. Yes, it is. Well, mine is warm because it has a nice warm beverage in it, but. I know everybody wants one of these, and you can have one of these if you send us an email with a question that we can read on the air, and I will enter you into a drawing, and we will uh, we will announce those winners on this, our December 2nd episode. That would be episode number 200. So to celebrate 200 episodes, we want to bring you in, we want to include you, and hopefully give you a coffee mug. I've got I don't know. I've got a handful of them, so we'll see how many of them I'm able to give out. We'll put you in a drawing and uh, and uh, get you a coffee mug. So it might uh, be wrong to bring mind. this up on the air, but are any of us getting raises? I yes, <laughs> I'm going to raise you all on twenty percent. <laughs> Good, I thought so. <laughs> Didn't I just give you raises? Probably. Who knows? <laughs> 
nothing. There's that laugh. Times, <laughs> yep, nothing there's that times, laugh. Nothing times nothing. Carry the nothing equals nothing. Yeah, make so. sure you carry. It's important. Mm -hmm. You got to make sure you carry that nothing. Make sure the decimal point's in the right place. <clears throat> all right, well, we got all kinds of interesting things going on. Oh, one more thing I want to talk before we really get into it. It was an article that I sent to the group. I said, sorry for sending it so late night last night, but uh, it just was right then, and I didn't want to forget. But um, an article in, I don't even remember, some scientific journal. I'll put it in the show notes, a link to it. But um, And it, it, it was stating that there is more water under the surface of the Earth than there is on the surface of the Earth. Uh, this is a, I guess it's a theory, but they, they suspect that there is a lot of water down in the earth's crust down deep somewhere. I don't even remember. Um, but as I'm reading it, and it's not the first time I've read an article like this, this concept yeah. has been going around for a while. Um, but it just was, it was like, Hmm, isn't that interesting? Um, because when you read in the Bible about Noah's flood, it doesn't say that all that water came from the sky. That's one of the big, one of the big, um, Oh, the naysayers of the Bible will say, well, there's probably, it's impossible to have a flood like that because there's not enough water for it to come out of the sky. Well, guess what? The Bible didn't say it all came out of the sky. It said that it came, that a lot of it came up from, how did it put it up from the depths up from the deep? Fountains. So some of it, fountains of the deep. There you go. So you don't have to believe that all that water came from the sky. The Bible tells us very clearly that a lot of it came up out of the ground. Now, what would it take for us to get all that water out of the ground? I don't know. Um, is this absolute proof that Noah's uh, flood story is true? No, but for me, who you know, I come at it with the with the uh, admitted bias that I believe in in the existence of God. This is just one more little little nugget that goes into my into my uh, into my vault and says, "Hmm, isn't that interesting?" So, so uh, I'll put. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And if you're interested in that, uh, our listeners can can look that up and read that article. Kind of interesting. Cool stuff. But we're not here to talk about Noah. We're here to talk about the book of Luke, chapter 15, and some of Jesus's parables. Uh, Jesus has been talking a lot of parables lately. Um, and that's for several chapters in Luke. We're going to be seeing a lot of of parables of Jesus. And this first one in Luke 15, we've actually talked about this parable before, but because it kind of frames the context of the entire chapter, and because there's some different connotation here than when we talked about it before, I thought it might be interesting to talk about it again. I'm talking about the parable of the lost sheep. We were we talked about this uh, back when we were talk, uh, studying Matthew 18, and the context then was Jesus talking about protecting children. That was actually kind of an emotional episode, if you if you recall. Mm -hmm. um, but here he's talking about uh, tax collectors and sinners. It's, I love the way that Luke starts the uh, the the chapter. And of course, he probably didn't start at chapter fifteen, but uh, <laughs> he says <laughs> he says all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. <laughs> so I mean, to me that that sort of gives me as a bit of a. Uh, a chuckle, all the tax collectors and sinners, uh, which right off the bat, you know, you know that the Pharisees were going to have an issue with this. They looked down on those people like nobody's business um, It's very interesting from a modern day Christian perspective to see 
those religious leaders looking down on people who are trying to find Jesus when we're kind of all about that now. You know, I, I, I suppose it's fair to say that we're not always on the right side of that. And we might look at people who aren't, uh, you know, we might look at the tax collectors and sinners here, the corner of our eye once in a while too, but they start complaining that, Oh, look at this. Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And, uh, that's when he, Jesus comes up with this parable. To me, that's so counterintuitive because it's like seeing an overweight person at the gym. Uh, I've actually mm-hmm. had over the years friends say, oh, my gosh, like there was just this big old girl at the gym. And I'm just like, what? And I'm like, where do you want her to be? Like, right. Come on. Like if she's if mm-hmm. she's trying to get into a better place and work on some stuff, like who are you to poke fun at that? Like, stop. You know, so it's the same thing with seeing any old person who's a sinner, like their job, right? They're front facing, whatever. That doesn't change the fact that they're a sinner and they need Christ. If somebody's pursuing God, let them pursue God. Mm-hmm. He wants them to. Like, who am I? Who am I to get in their way if God wants them at His feet? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is a really weird point of view to hold. Of you look at somebody and you can see that they are clearly down and out. They're clearly. They're they've clearly had a lifestyle that is like like the gym, like church, you know, and um, you see somebody who seems out of place, but it's because they're trying to get their life in order. And yeah, to simultaneously look down at somebody, oh, what are they doing here? But yet deride them for not being what you are uh, just doesn't make sense. I've noticed this before, too, though, that it's sort of like um, people who are not active in the church, people who are outside of uh, the body of Christ are the most likely to say, um, I'd go to church, but it's just full of hypocrites. And Mm. you notice that? Like, that's kind Mm -hmm. of a thing that people say. And and yet what they don't realize is that um, the church is full of sinners. Like, that's who's drawn to Jesus, people who admit that they have a problem. It's like, who goes to AA? The guy who knows he's an alcoholic, right? right. Yeah. And and the people who go to church are the ones who are like, whoa, I'm messing up. I'm not a good person. Um, mm-hmm. And so I know that I need God. And so that's who, who admits it and goes. So, I don't know, just a, a little insight there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it I, is. I, I, I agree with that one that, that Amy said. Um, I also want to add a, a caveat to it that a lot of times when when you spend so much time there that the sinners forget where they came from. Oh, yeah. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That, yes, we are all sinners and we are in church and sometimes we for, forget that portion of it. Yeah. And we tend to make mm-hmm. people feel uncomfortable when we forgot where we came from. That's an mm-hmm. excellent point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if it isn't just people who have largely who have been raised in the church and have stuck around um, who just sort of assume they've always been right. They've been in the good sides of things, you know, and uh, find them. Then they're the ones who can maybe look down their nose. I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know if there's prob- a way to generalize that. I, I think, you know, there's also the saying, you guys have probably heard this, like there's there's no bigger fanatic against smoking than an ex-smoker, right? So mm. I think I think that we humans can end up at a point of exclusive fanaticism through any path, honestly. We're so capable of that. Yeah. You know, I, I've heard it once in a sermon that somebody said, you know, the people that have been in the church the longest have the saying that goes, you know, I've been in this way for X amount of years. And the pastor goes, and that's where they're at right now in the way. <laughs> in the way of doing God's work. I haven't heard Love that. It. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, well, that's good. That's yeah. that's very apropos to the story that we're gonna talk about with the yeah. parable of the lost son because the elder brother is like that yes yeah yeah i've been doing this so long how come i don't get blah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah and you know before i go too far to this it's probably fair to say that i have found myself on the wrong side of this story before too we probably all have at some point in our life we probably looked at somebody who was like "Ugh, what is that person doing here but you know um I like to think that I've grown and and uh, not just in my body mass. That was really stupid. <laughs> I, I, I try. I try. If I catch myself thinking anything like that, homework, church, any aspect of my life, I try to have my fault. My next follow up thought be, OK, Karen, try not to be an ass, huh? Yep. <laughs> OK, well, the parable goes something like this. There's a man. Uh, maybe I should just read the parable. That might be the easiest way. It's not that long. So Jesus comes up with this parable after, after, oh, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Uh, So he says, so he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Yay! Yeah, so, you know, he, he Jesus starts by kind of pointing out the hypocrisy of the situation once again, where he's just kind of saying, like we were talking about maybe it was last week, week before, I don't remember. But basically, you guys will teach your treat your animals better than you treat human beings. <laughs> and, and same situation here. Uh, we sang that song. <clears throat> um, Morgan at church was leading that song that, that says, you're the one that leaves the 99. And that just, every time I hear that song, I think that is who he is. Like he is so concerned about the one who is fallen, uh, and such a great song. I don't know who mm-hmm. wrote that, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention that this this parable has has um, uh, inspired song lyrics and such. So mm-hmm. um, it's 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 a parable that if you're very familiar with Christianity at all, I'm sure you've heard of it before. Um, now, you know, the, the, the idea that Jesus used this, it's seemingly in different contexts. That's one reason why I felt okay about talking about it here, because it seems like maybe this is something he could pull out of his back pocket. Maybe this is one that he carried around with him all the time and was able to apply it to different situations. Because like we said, like I said before, he had this in the context of protecting innocence and children. And here he has it in the context of protecting people who 
or protecting or regathering, I should say, or gathering those who have been those who are lost. Um, Wasn't that the premise of the whole mission, though, to save mm-hmm. everyone? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting that there's an interesting aspect of it that maybe is worth exploring. And who knows? Maybe we may take the whole the whole time talking about this one parable. I don't know. But the idea of being able to leave 99 where they're relatively safe to go get one that's in danger. Um, there's a there's a piece in my brain. And I, I know I totally know I'm overthinking this, but it's like, what a how do you how do you know the 99 are safe when you leave? But I know that's not the point of the of the parable at all. The point of the parable being that those 99 are fine and you go get you go get the one. Well, and if you're the shepherd, you do know. I mean, you Yeah, like, right. They're yours to take care of. You're right. You're right. Like I said, overthinking it. I know I'm overthinking it and I'm and I'm putting stuff in there that doesn't belong. No, I, I think I think that's that's the humanistic part of this is that we do we want to overthink it because we can't really grasp it. You know, I also often look at this and this isn't even the right context, but this is how it it just seems that God is so awesome to do that is I think, okay, if I'm taking or, you know, when I was in school, if I was taking a test, how often would we, we be satisfied with a 99? That is like saying that I'm going to get a 99 on a test and I'm going to go, you know what? I really want to redo it for the, the, the hundred. We wouldn't wow. do that. It, yeah. it, it's just so, so odd. Or, you know what? I have 99 of these objects. There's just one remaining. Do I go after it? No, I'm okay with the 99. Mm-hmm. But God isn't. He's willing yeah. to sacrifice it all to get one, that one last person. That just yeah. tells me how far extending and reaching that his mission to save everyone is. That is interesting. It's kind of an almost an all or nothing thing. It's like if I, if I have to lose everybody, of course, he doesn't want to lose everybody. But if I have to lose everybody because I'm going after the one, well, then I guess I go down. I go down swinging. I go down, in, you know, if I fail, I fail spectacularly. And and it's it's not for lack of trying uh, because, because, yeah, he does want to save as many as possible. If it were up to him, he would save every single one. I, what I like is verse 7. You know, likewise, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repents more than mm-hmm. over the 99 just persons who have no repentance. So what I'm thinking about is, number one, Heaven's perspective is all about the sinner who repents. And Mm -hmm. that last part is kind of interesting because it says more than over the 99 just persons who don't need repentance. So um, I kind of think Jesus is being facetious, right? Like he's Yeah, I think so. He's chatting with Pharisees and scribes who already know that they're they're fine. Um, They're in good with God in their own opinion. And they don't see their own corruption. Like he tells them they're inside, they're rotting. Yeah. Right? And they refuse to see that. So he's, yeah, I, I think that's, that's great. But I also just love that, you know, heaven is rooting for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a nice thing. I think that, you know, the whole universe is out there watching us and really hoping, really hoping that we'll turn it around, that we'll come back and, and realize <laughs> where we were wrong realize that that we need to repent because yeah as jesus is talking to these pharisees these are guys who think they've got it all right they think they're doing everything exactly the way they're supposed to by golly we're keeping the law you know and um 
uh, you know, when you really look into it, you're like, no, you know, you're not. No, you're not. Uh, you just think you are. You think you're all that and the bag of chips and you're nothing. You're not nothing. You know what I'm saying? Amy. So another part of this in my mind right now is I don't know how many of you guys have friends or relatives who who kind of believe in once saved, always saved or, you know, those kind of thoughts. And, and I think it is important to notice how many times in the New Testament the word repentance is used. Mm-hmm. You know, God doesn't want to leave us in our sins. He, he doesn't. And, and that is like the cry of the New Testament. He will take you back every time. But don't go back to your sins. Don't. Like, it's gross. And, yeah. and I, I, I kind of am looking at that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, this whole chapter, you know, it's it's basically got three parables in it, and it's about different ways that we can be lost and mm-hmm. different ways that we can be found. And I, that's one of, to me, that's one of the most interesting things about these stories is the varying levels of being lost. So what I, do you mean? Well, okay, so the first one is about the lost sheep, and right. sheep are dumb. They have a shepherd. And they still manage to get lost. Like mm-hmm. it just wanders off by itself and is too stupid to find its way back. And it requires it requires saving. And then next we'll have the parable of the lost coin. The coin doesn't even know it's lost. And yet someone's still looking for it. And then there's the parable of the lost son. And he knows and he chose it. He chose to go be lost. And then he chooses, right? So there's these different ways that we can be lost. And yeah. it doesn't matter what those ways are someone's still looking for us that's one of the things that's that's one of my favorite things about this chapter is that there's a story here for everyone this is why i let karen be on the podcast yeah no (laughs) kidding that was like deep (laughs) i let her i I let her tell the sexist joke so i don't get in trouble (laughs) but then i also let her be very very smart and bring up the points that i just go I missed that one, but you're absolutely right. There are every one of these is different people, different ways of being of being lost. And I've always and, assumed that's why they were told back to back. Is that mm. like if I look back on the course of my life, there's times that I've been the lost sheep. There's times mm-hmm. that I've been the lost coin. There's times that I've been the lost son, right? There's times that I've done all of those things, like wandered off and just been like, What? What? Where's my shepherd? Right? Help, somebody help. And then mm-hmm. there's times where I haven't even known I was lost. And then here came God looking for me. And then there's other time times where I've been like, mm, yeah, I know it's right. I'm going to go over here anyway. I've done all those things. Yeah, and yet too. you can still be favored by God. Because if we look at King David, same thing. All yep. three different aspects of it. But always knew, just like Amy had said, that if we repent, that's that's the whole premise of it. Repent. Um, and that's why he's known as a, a person that had was after God's own heart. But I think, yeah, I think what Karen said is absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And I don't You're want right. Anning's wound. You're right, Karen. <laughs> Shut up, man. You're right. No knife, no mayonnaise needed. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So I had a professor in college, and I had been getting involved with these groups that were always talking about sinlessness and they were like, I would go listen to these preachers and they were pretty intense and they, they made good points and I was starting to fall for it, you know? (laughs) Mm. And, um, and anyway, 
they they were right in a lot of ways. But anyway, so I'm talking to this professor one day, and he's a biology professor. But I really felt like he knew the Lord, and he was a good Christian, a kind man. And I tell him my problem, and he says, no, 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 no. He said, don't think of it that way. He said, just think of it as in your relationship with Jesus, if every morning you're going to him and you're saying, Lord, I'm struggling with this, and and he is leading you out of that, and you say, oh, okay, I'm going to give that up because that's leading me away from you. You're in Christ. You're perfect. And he said, but if you say to yourself, no, I want this thing. I want it worse than I want you. He's like, then you're lost. You have to repent. And um, that was so helpful to me because it was more relational. Yeah. And it and it was far, like I was a dumb kid and I was falling for this perfection stuff. And, um, and I was becoming afraid of God, if that makes sense and of judgment and all that kind of thing. And then here's this guy who just says, no, 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 just be with him. And when he shows you, no, this thing is leading you away from, from me, you give it up, choose him every time. And I was like, oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One of the most interesting word studies I've ever done in the Bible is um, about the word perfect. So throughout the Bible, I think the first place I noticed it was in the Sermon on the Mount where towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, I think it is, Jesus says, therefore, you shall be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I was always like, well, that's a high calling. <laughs> Great. Right. <laughs> but hmm. then through Paul's writings and reading different translations of the Bible, I discovered that the word perfect means mature to that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So true. perfect in its state of maturity. Right. Um, So in my local church, I bring that up in a study one time. And um, this guy says, I think of it as the life of a plant. When it's a seed, it's still a seed. It's a zygote of a plant. But in its state, it's perfect. When it's a seed lean, it's still perfect. When it's a half-grown seed, it's not producing any fruit, but it's still perfect as long as it's healthy in that form, right? And any of us who have ever raised kids, which I think is all of us at some point, right? Um, you, you would you would never look at a two-year-old and be like, oh, why can't they just grow up? No, <laughs> they're fine. They're two. The question is, are they okay for two? So the idea of perfection, I believe, is a mobile idea in the Bible, and it's based on our spiritual maturity. Yeah, I've, I've heard that, too. Not, not explained quite to that degree, but it does very much make sense that we're all going to be in different stages in, in, of maturity. And uh, that, that's where we, where we should judge ourselves the most is, okay, am I okay for where I am? You know, what do I know? What have my experiences been, and and uh, how does that how does that play into how I'm seeing myself? And I, maybe to some degree, it should it should affect how we look at other people too. Not that we're supposed to be uh, judging other people, but when we see somebody who seems immature in their spirituality, maybe we need to just stop for a minute and go, maybe they're not immature in their spirituality. Maybe this is just where they are right now. So, very good point. Well, the next, if we're ready to move on, uh, the next parable, like we said, is a parable of a lost coin. Very short one. I'll just read this one again, too. Very short, um, um, but it's kind of profound. It's still in that, that uh, context of people who are lost. 
says, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I've had times in my past when I've read that parable and I'm like, really one coin? What's the deal with one coin? And so, of course, it got my curiosity gene going. And and the notes in both my NIV and New King James said that this was a Greek drachma. And so then I'm going, okay, how do they know it's a Greek drachma? I went to my King King James looking for the word coin. Um, or actually, look, went to my 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 uh, exhaustive concordance looking for the word coin, and that. The concordance is based on the King James, not the new King James. And the word coin doesn't even fit. It, does, it doesn't even appear, which really surprised me. It doesn't even show up in the Bible. I, I'm in the new or in the King James version. So, like, well, that's weird. So where are they coming up with the idea that this is a drachma? I finally had to go to a tr- literal transmi- uh, translation. And there it actually uses the word drachma. So now, why is a drachma significant? Apparently, a drachma was a, the equivalent of about one day's wages. So now it's like, oh, okay. If I'm a person who is working a day-to-day job and it gets to the end of the week, or in this case, a couple of weeks probably, and I've lost a whole day's wages, now I'm starting to understand some of the value of this coin. And so for this woman to lose one coin in the house, it's like, okay, no wonder she's looking for it. I, I kind of get that now. Um, and we, when we see what, how Jesus is comparing this value of one coin to one sinner. Oh, just for interest sake, I just looked this up in my 1611 King James and it's, and it just says pieces of silver. Yeah. Either what yeah, woman the- having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she find it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I had to go look at it. And finally, I found it. I, I had to pull up the uh, Bible Gateway app, or not the app, but the site uh, on my on my phone. And, and finally looked it up and looked through several translations. And when I finally landed on the Young's Literal Translation, which I find to be very helpful at times when you want to know the exact meaning of a word or exact word used, that one will be helpful sometimes. But and there it actually said, what, dro- well, I didn't say drachma, said drachm, D-R-A-C-H-M. But so now that, that, that value of a lost coin comes into perspective. And, and you understand now why Jesus would say, yeah, this woman would, would search and search and search for this. Because this has immense value. But how human of us to read a story like this, where clearly in the story it was important to that woman, and yet we immediately try to assign our own value to it. Well, I don't even yeah. understand the story unless I understand the value. No, no, you don't. You don't have to. Like you can, you can just go off the way that the character in the story acted. Like it was very valuable to her, worth mm-hmm. celebrating. Oh my goodness, I found my whatever it was. I found my the back of my earring, you know, whatever it was, if it was important to her, that's the point. And that's how we are to God. Our value to other people doesn't matter. Our value to who owns us is what matters. See, there goes Karen being right again. <laughs> 
I should get married. This is really just wasted. <laughs> just, just, yeah, you're just wasting this stuff. <laughs> I'm just wasting my rightness. <laughs> no, oh I, my goodness. I, I get it. You you are correct in that, and that if we're just following the idea of the story, we understand that this was a value to her. Especially, you know, the other my brain always goes to the story, the widow who puts her two little coins into the yeah. in into the offering, and everybody's like, Ugh, and Jesus is like, Yeah, she gave more than all of you, you know. And so so my brain kind of links those two. And so, you know, there's a piece of me that would as as I would read this, it's like, okay, it doesn't seem like a lot to me, but it's a lot to it means something to her. And and so Karen's point actually comes through in my mind i just didn't get there as quickly as karen because you know she's smarter than me but uh <laughs> but i couldn't help wanting to know he's like okay why why well you know because you know my first thought of course i'm thinking you know the change in my pocket if i was to drop a penny or even a quarter you know am i gonna go searching for it might depend on how bad i wanted that soda that i was gonna buy from the vending machine you know but um Mostly these days, my coins end up on my dresser in a giant pile that I need to take to the bank someday, you know, but uh, that's a, that's the bit of the importance of understanding context of things like this. And, OK, what why was this coin so important to her? And well, it's because it was actually quite valuable, especially to her and, you know, to some people, even then. A single coin might not have seemed like a lot, but to her, it was, it was a lot and she wanted to go. And search and search and search until she found it and then was immensely happy when she did. She was overjoyed when she did because she got that that coin back. And so, again, it's that idea of the joy of finding the thing that was lost, the joy of finding the sinner who was lost, bringing that sinner back and uh, that repentant sinner. And, um, you know, he's joy in the presence of the angels of God. That was an interesting, I don't know, for some reason, and I don't really know why, but for some reason that phrase sparks an interest in my brain. Um, because we, we, you know, we've talked here before about what angels are and what they actually look like and what does it actually mean? And, you know, that we know that that, that word angel really just means messenger. And so there's a, there's a piece of me that kind of wants to explain uh, or explore that idea more and understanding really what um what that phrase means once again i know i'm putting way too much into it way more than should be there but uh just interesting interesting for me to understand what that means because um here i'm gonna, I'm gonna totally de derail this for a second because when you when you see the word heaven in the bible i don't see it capitalized anywhere like it's some specific place it's it's more of a concept of of out there heaven you know and these angels of heaven and so it has me going who are they who are they i want to know but rather than rather than derail us completely i'll let our listeners contemplate that themselves <laughs> and uh they can write into me and say matt you keep derailing the show and um or they might say you know what you got some interesting thoughts and we want to explore those too that's what I think will probably happen. Is that yeah. I will. Putting yeah. And I way like my mug. Thought into this. <laughs> yeah. And I want a mug. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So that's <clears throat> that's those two. And you know, very short, very quick, very similar uh, concepts behind them, other than stupid versus doesn't even know, like Karen pointed out. And then we get into the third parable that Jesus talks about. And this one is much more involved, much more 
detailed than the others. And as I was reading it, I was finding that there are lots of just little nuggets in this uh, parable for us to explore. And it's a very famous parable, the parable of the lost son, or some translations probably call it the prodigal son. Um, for a long time, I didn't even know what the word prodigal meant. I had to go looking it up because I always, you know, with the pro the prodigal son, I always assumed because of the way the story goes that prodigal meant went away and came back, but not really. Mm -hmm. Prodigal is more uh, an idea of wild living and um, lavish. Yeah, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of thing, you know. And so I don't know. Should I read this one or should we just paraphrase it? Yeah, you should definitely read it. But one of the most interesting takes on this story that I've ever heard is that the real person who showed prodigal living in this was the father. His his mm. lavish, unrestrained love in the face of his rebellious son. So I get how they applied it. Prodigal meaning lav the prodigal son meaning he took his inheritance and ran away and spent it in mm. prodigal living. But yet, you know, when when we think about in the big picture, who was the prodigal expresser here? It was the father. I've, I've always thought that was cool. Yeah. So we'll, let's explore that. But let's, I'll, I'll read, I'll read, I'll, maybe I'll read it. I will read the parable first and then we can, we can break it down because there's so much, there's just tiny little things in here that we could probably talk about for quite a while. So starting in verse 11 of Luke 15, then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are 
always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So that really is kind of a it's kind of a beautiful story mm-hmm. of the way the father reacts when his son comes back. But, you know, we start there with this young man. I don't, you know, he says young man. How how young is young? How old is old? You know, right? But this young man who just, I want what's mine and I want it now. The idea of thinking that I am owed something. Because, you know, even, even as someone who is in a position where, yeah, there's an inheritance coming. Um, but just, I want it. I want it right now. It's mine and you should give it to me. Um, there's something in there for us to explore about our attitudes, about, uh, squandering the things that are coming to us, but I don't have a full thought on that yet. Um, I just was thinking about the fact that Jesus is such a good storyteller. Like this, this story grabs you. It really does on a lot of different levels. And of course, there's, I mean, the most important is the joyous, overwhelming love of God. Like, that's the story. Um, but then on, on so many other levels, too, like, it, you can see this happening in a real family situation. Like, there's there's kids that are just, like, waiting for grandma to die, but they don't really love her, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. and those, those are real stories, and, and Jesus is aware of that. So, anyway, I just, I wanted to point out the fact that I think that he had a real handle on the human heart, of course. And I, I love his stories. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a bit, it's very short-sighted for the younger son to come and say, I want what's mine right now. Because, I mean, dad clearly is still in good health. And if we're looking at it simply from a, uh, you know, just from an earthly perspective, dad's still in good health. There's clearly plenty of wealth and chances are that wealth could expand, you know? So, so I want mine right now. And, and I want, I want what you owe me. That's, that's the part of this that, that really strikes me in sort of a shocking way of, of, yeah. You know, knowing that this this is a this is intended to be a picture of us and God, and for me to say, God, you owe me this, um, right? That right off, right away, just just strikes me, um, just strikes me wrong uh, to think of God really owing me anything when He's given me everything. You know, I mean, I've got. I've got this. And, and, you know, we think of times in the Bible, it's like, well, if you, if, if what you want is what this world has to offer, you can have that reward. You can have that right now. And that's really what this prodigal son goes for. He goes for what he can have right now without thinking about the future, without thinking about what's coming ahead. And he's clearly not thinking about the future when he just goes out and wastes it, just absolutely wastes it. You know, you would think, okay, if this guy really was serious about this, he would have taken the inheritance. He would have invested some of it. He would have, he would have had a living for himself. He could have made something of himself, but instead he just took it out and, and just blew it, blew it all. Uh, you know, if like kind of like his brother says, and not, not in these words, but basically went and wait, spent it on hookers, you know, and, uh, you know, probably, probably booze and hookers, you know, and, and, uh. He, he finds himself in the gutter, you know, so to speak. 
so so yeah that idea of yeah god owes me something um that's a that's a really bad place to start from think about the fact that you know we get an insight into who the father is in this story right and so this is a good father like he's mm-hmm. a joyful person he's a person who celebrates things he he loves his sons he even submits to this son who asks for everything up front like he's like okay yeah um so he's very good and yet the relationship is somehow broken and so you know i mean all of us have had like karen was saying kids and and so you try to do your best and everything but this is a truly good father and yet somehow that relationship gets warped which means the warping is coming from the son i feel like and mm-hmm. and that's kind of who we are as sinners like we have this weird pair of goggles on that make us see god in a bad way and um and we have to go through something to see how good he is mhm yeah, there's probably a lot of things we can assume about this son. And of course, we don't totally know. But I mean, there's some assumption here that the son maybe felt like he was being mistreated, maybe felt like he was being subjected to things that he didn't feel like he should be subjected to. You know, my father's wanting too much for me, but I'm going to take what's mine right now and I'm going to go, you know, and and, uh, you know, the, the, the father's perspective is is not in that same vein. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I like what you're saying there. Like the there's the constraints of being a son, the responsibilities of being a son that come with, you know, family and rank within the family and roles within the family, and and then there's the relationship that comes with that same thing. The son is focused on what he can get from it, and the dad is focused we don't really see what the dad is focused on except that he gives the son his inheritance when he asks we don't really know what the dad is thinking until the son comes back and mm-hmm. boy is that a reflection on how we see our roles in family relationship god worship you know all of that stuff and then when he finally you know comes to his senses and he's like oh i've got this I've got this backwards. Like my dad was actually a great manager and generous with his staff. Like I, I would be happy even to now that I've lived out on the world on my own and ruined everything that I was given. I understand that my dad is actually a great manager, and I would like to even be a servant in his household. You know, I agree with it, what everybody is saying too, and I often look at this and think of just the father and how he acknowledges the difference between raising one son and another son. That's what sticks out for me with this story is that yes, one, one son did kind of go with self and it's like, I I'm owed this and I want it now. And the other son was just, he was more of the, you know what? I'll listen and I'll follow the rules, but I'm still not happy. It's like, okay, so why did this other brother get to do this? And I'm and I'm here doing the work. And and it's the good father, or as I think of like it with Jesus saying, you know what, there are different aspects here. You can't treat everyone the same, but everyone's just as important. And if you really sit back and look at it, your brother was was lost. And you know what? Now he's back. Rejoice in that. And not so much the work, but that he was lost and he's found now. He's back. Does it does it cover the part that he was saying, you know what, but I've been here the whole time. 
I think he's trying to get him to that point point where, you know what, look at it through a different screen and just being lost and being found and being that family. Yeah, and Jesus is pointing out just how much this guy has been lost when we find, he says, you know, he went to feed pigs. Remembering this is, he's talking to Jewish people and, and pigs are unclean and even touching a pig was was uh, enough to make you unclean. Um, you know, you you simply didn't do that. And so we find that this guy is is at that point going from having this amazing inheritance to now uh, in the pig pen and, and uh, feeding the lowest of the low. You know, he's really he is really, really down and out. And that aspect of that wouldn't be wouldn't be lost on these people. Yeah. But then when the when the son's eyes finally open back up and he's like, man, even dad's servants are doing better than me right now because he was pleased to the point where I could eat this pig's food. It's you know, it's it. it, I, (laughs) you know, when you're when when you start looking at the slop that that's getting, of course, you know, it's the pods. And I think it was somewhere it was carob pods, which is something that people would eat. But these pigs are eating it raw, and and uh, carob pods are generally eaten, I su- I assume, roasted or cooked in some fashion. But, but yeah, I could I, I'm I'm down to the point where I'm ready to eat the pigs' food, and even my dad's servants are doing better. Me, and so it's not even the superstars, not even dad's superstars. We're not talking about the Billy Grams and the, uh, uh, oh, you name another guy who's, <laughs> or you know, David of the person who's a superstar of Christianity, um. But uh, not even those guys we're not talking about, but just just the basic servants of of my father are doing so much better than me. And finally, he realizes that he's got himself into a place that he absolutely does not want to be. You know, he's recognizing that he put himself here and just would like to be back even at that level just at the level of a servant not even not even so much like a son but just a servant so this is a good time to look at the different wording in different versions because i just love it in the king james Mm -hmm. and when he came to himself like how many of us have had those experiences right when you're like i got this i know what i'm doing i'm 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 and then you're like oh dear whoopsie Mm -hmm. what have i done Mm-hmm. And uh, and he comes to himself like he wakes up. Yeah, you have those moments where you just go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. yeah, you know, yeah, because you thought you had it right. You thought you had everything going just fine and you insisted on your own way. And then when you start to see where that actually results and you just go, oh, man, and, <laughs> and, and <laughs> yep. turn, yeah, turn it around. And uh, so he he is ready to go back now. Verse 20, I absolutely love because when he's coming back, he says the father sees him while he was still a great way off, which means father was watching for him. Yes. Hoping, hoping, hoping that his son would come home. And when he sees him coming over the horizon, He's way out there, which means he's, you know, he's looking. He's, it's not like he's just, you know, going about day to day and, 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 you know, having his coffee in the morning and, and, you know, just, well, junior's gone. Meh. 
you know, that's not the case at all. His father saw him coming from a long way off. The boy didn't even have to come all the way in before his father saw him and went to him. And he says he ran to the son, ran to him, and then hugs and kisses him. This is a man who was just utterly overjoyed to see his son come home, probably knowing that, you know, he knew the personality of this kid before he left. You know he did. And knowing that he probably went out and he wasted everything. In fact, we know that he knows because the son, the other son knows. So somehow or other, they would have known what the boy was doing with the money. Fully, fully aware of what has happened, but just overjoyed that he's back and goes to him and has been watching for him. So I love that part. I love that the father is watching for that return. And then the son's confession, like he said, he's, you know, he actually does confess. It's not just a matter of I should confess. He actually does confess. Dad, I, I wasted it all. I, I, I blew it. Um, it's all, I just, I just, I need a job. Can I just have a job? Uh, I, I don't even need to be your son. I just, I just need a job. And the father's like, no, we're having none of that. None of that. He he goes and has his best robe put on the boy. He puts a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. An interesting thing I see in the notes here, sandals on his feet is actually kind of um, significant because the uh, servants may not even have had shoes at all. And so being brought back as a son, he gets sandals on his feet and a, and a calf killed to have a celebratory feast. The father's just bringing him back with full honors. Just just come back into the house, son. Just come back in. It's a really an amazing perspective to look at things. Because I don't know. It, it's it's kind of questionable how many, uh, how often you would see this in a setting of a father, or da- you know, a, a father-son relationship where, where the son had gone off and wasted everything. Matt, mm. you just said something super profound. Hey, it happens. Wait, right? what, what happened? <laughs> I don't know. He just, he just brings him back to full son, sonship, like you said, to full honors. But that's it. Like, that's the gospel, right? Like, yeah. the Lord brings us back as though we had never sinned. I mean, it's the weirdest thing. It's yeah. so amazing. We can't even comprehend it. And And so that's why these stories work so well, because... Like you see the father's love through the story and instead of it being doctrine or, you know, like something Paul says, because Paul sometimes is confusing. um, But when Jesus tells a story like this, you're like full sonship. That's what this is. So there you go, Matt. You pulled it off. (laughs) (laughs) I am brilliant. You are. (laughs) Uh, um, And then the phrasing he uses, though, my son was dead. My son was dead and is alive again. We are as good as dead when we're away from the father. We might as well be. Because, you know, as he went away, who in the household knew if the son was ever coming back? You know? Of course. You know, know, God can see the beginning from the end. That's not the point of the story. But the idea that when we are away from God, we may as well be dead. Because... I mean, ultimately, that's what our separation from God does to us. It will literally destroy us, and and uh, we will be dead. And so, so this idea that God, or that the well, yes, God, the Father is is conveying here. My son was dead, and he's back, lost, and he's found. Um, it's it's really uh, kind of profound. And then the, you know, the brother. 
there's a piece of me that wants to resonate with the brother. And it's probably just a, that human side of me, like like uh, Tracy points out. We have this human side where he's just like, what about me? I've been here the whole time. I'm I'm out here working in the field, you know, and I don't think I you know, that's, you know, I mean, if we put that into a Christian perspective, you know, we can look at that in many different ways. You know, I've been I've been working to keep the church running. I've been doing mission work. I've been doing social work. I've been doing all these things. And this guy comes back in. You're going to give him full honors again. What? What's What's up with that? And and uh, you know, I guess I'm maybe a little embarrassed to admit that there's times in my life where I go, "What about me? Uh, that this this kind of sucks," you know. But that's you know, the father's got other thoughts. Yeah, this verse 29 where it says, "But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends." So I looked up that word slaving because I was curious. Um, let's see, New King James. I've got a parallel version. Uh, New King James says, "I have been serving you," right? But NIV says slaving. So I looked it up, and the word, the Greek word is, oh dear, duluo, duluo, and it well means said. to be a slave. It means to be a slave. So mm. his view of staying home and doing all the work is not flattering. Like my 15-year-old. Huh? <laughs> like my 15-year-old. Right. He doesn't <laughs> see it as serving the kingdom. He doesn't mm-hmm. see it as building the estate that will be his. He doesn't see it as a mission of joy to work under his father. Somewhere mm-hmm. along the line, although he's never left home, it's sort of like he's never bought into the relationship for what it is either, which interestingly is just as guilty of misjudging the father as the other brother that left misjudging the father and his intentions and the purpose of being in the family. And yet he just never left. He stayed and he worked. He continued to do the work, but in his heart, he was slaving. Mm. That is a, that's a very important distinction because this, you know, this isn't a Mary and Martha sort of thing. This is a guy who's felt like he's, He's had he's had the wrong perspective all along. He's, uh, he's felt like he was being forced into it. I suppose. Um, very interesting distinction there. But and, aren't there uh, always two sides to the coin? Because me and you were talking yesterday. Mm-hmm. Don't you? At sometimes you need both of those. Isn't that the oh. the working working mm-hmm. the internal workings of like maybe a church, <laughs> the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and at times I think we all take those those positions. One is Martha, one is Mary. You know what? Sometimes the work needs to be done to to go out and find those mm-hmm. that are lost. Yeah, the difference here being, it doesn't seem like from what the perspective that Karen is putting out, it doesn't seem like the this son was looking at it from somebody's got to do this work to I have to do this. I'm. Right. I have yeah. To do this because my my dad is overbearing and 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 making me you know making me do this thing, where Martha was just doing it because it was something that needed to be done. And after a while, she felt a little put upon. 
here he just feels put upon because he thinks his father's forcing him into it. Um, yeah, a different, different, kind of a different context there. Um, but yeah, it's true though. I mean, somebody, somebody has to be doing these things. Somebody's got to be, got to be keep working, but, um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it comes down to sometimes what's our attitude about the work we do. Uh, you know, if our attitude is, is here I go again. Oh, I have to do this because nobody else is going to do it. You know, that's, you know, that's not a great attitude. But if you're doing this, if your attitude is I'm doing this because I'm doing this for my father. I love my father. I want to do this for my father. That's a whole different, whole different uh, ball of wax. I do think we need to leave room for the human experience here. So in my, in my lifeline, my lifetime, the human experience goes all over the place. It's rather emotionally speaking. It's rather like a roller coaster. Sometimes I've got a lot of spiritual energy and I'm feeling generous and I'm overflowing with God's love and I'm ready to get down and get the work done. And then other times I'm like, no, I am empty. I feel like I'm starving here and I need to sit back and I need to take in rather than put out. Right. And Mm -hmm. first of all, as a human, we have to be able to recognize that in ourselves. I mean, if we think about it in terms of our profession, I think it's easier. Like um, our job may be whatever, whatever your job is. Sometimes you go to work and you like your job and you do a really good job and you feel like you did a lot of good by the end of the day. And then other times you're like, oh my gosh, another idiot. (gasps) Why is there another idiot in front of me? Why do I have to, right? And you're clearly in some level of burnout. Well, that happens spiritually too. So Mm -hmm. I don't think that any of this is a topic of condemnation. I think of it as a topic for self-recognition. Like, where are you at? Where are you at mm-hmm. right now? If you catch yourself walking around with the older brother at older brother's attitude, the solution is not to become the younger brother. The solution is to reconnect with the father. The older brother's solution was to reconnect with the father. The younger brother's solution was to reconnect with the father. If you're feeling off balance spiritually and you're feeling drained or you're feeling put upon or you're feeling unappreciated, Go to the father. That's the only way. And and if you if you've made some self-extending choices to where you're out further, you know, you've extended yourself further than you have the energy or the ability to carry, well, maybe you did that to yourself and you need to step back. But God is God is not going to empty you out and expect you to keep functioning. He is there and ready to fill you again. So if you find yourself in that position, I suggest you stand in front of the mirror for a moment instead of aiming it at God. That's that's all I'm saying. But I do think it's a very human tendency and I don't think it's something to get upset about. It just needs to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing about the father's reaction here with this son that I really like is once again, he goes out to the son. That son is like, I am not going into that party. Forget it. I'm not going in there. And the father comes out to him. I was like, what's going on? What's the, what's the matter? You know? And that's when, you know, the son gets to rant and get these things off his chest. And then the father just gently reminds him, Hey, this is all yours. Kind of, kind of, what are you griping about? All of this is yours. You've been here all the time. And, you know, the there's something in there is telling me, is like, you know, if you really wanted a goat, you could have had a goat. This is all yours. Yeah. You know, it's like, so there's something there that makes me go, did the son ever ask for a goat? Right. 
Maybe right. not. You know, maybe he could have had one if he had ever asked, but he never thought to ask for it. He just now is going, oh, I never got this. You know? Doesn't the and, book of James say that you do not have because you do not ask? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. So this is all yours. Everything in here is yours. So so. You know, you really don't have anything to, to complain about. And uh, yeah, you're Your always perspective with me. was wrong. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I do like that the father doesn't condemn the son here because he's like, you're always with me. So, you know, even even when the son is kind of going, what's going on here? Uh, the father is like, no, you're, you're you're here. You're with me. It's fine. You're doing OK. Um, and so the you know, part of me says it's OK for us to once in a while go, God, what's going on? What's this all about? And God's going to go, he's going to pat us on the head and be like, you're fine. Everything's fine. Everything, you, you know, it's all in order. You're going to be just fine. And, um, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, just those, you know, different situation, but yeah, you, you weren't, you weren't lost. That's the difference here. You weren't lost. Your son is back. He was, or your, your brother is back. He was dead. That's why we're celebrating. He was dead and he's alive. And so, yeah, we're celebrating gonna, and it's right for us to celebrate. I'm going to look up this. Let's see. Um, I'm going to look up this text in First Thessalonians. So this is the passage where it talks about. So this is, let's see, the whole passage is 13 through 18 is kind of the passage that gets quoted a lot. So this is the one where it's talking about the end of the world at the second coming. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that they so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Right. So it's that. Mm -hmm. So for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Mm. That's the point. Mm -hmm. That's the point. It isn't about tasks. It isn't about recognition. It's about getting the work done so that we can be with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I think that down here, it's easy to lose sight that that relationship should be so sweet that we would do anything to keep it. And down here, it becomes work and slogging through the mud and exhaustion and people who don't respond the way that they, quote unquote, should. And and we end up seeing and doing things on a much smaller scale. The entire point of all of this is to be with God. And neither of these sons recognize that. And I think a lot of times we don't either. And that's how we get sidetracked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Both of these sons were misreading the father, both of them. And a lot of times we find ourselves Thinking like that older son, I never went away. I've been here the whole time. I've been doing all the work. But realizing then that I have also been misjudging the father. I have been misreading the situation. And, and yeah, it's all about being with God. Which brings me to my final thought of this whole thing is now, and it's a question. And, and again, it's not really addressed in the 
in the parable, but it's a question that I have. It's like, does this mean that the younger son is brought back into full inheritance again? Does this, you know, is this supposed to imply that when this, when this father would die, then that he would get half again? Um, it almost oh, I, seems I, like that's the case. I wonder too, if that's just our way of thinking once again, that says, yeah. does it have to be divvied up or thinking along the lines of the father going, you know what? We're back. Mm-hmm. We're all here together as a family, a hundred percent of us. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Because, Which, you know, I, yeah, I think too, when you look at it in perspective, can we look at this and just say, this is the church? Mm-hmm. That there are yeah. people on the inside going, wait a minute, they're on the outside. What, where are they getting all this? And I've been here. I'm here. Just like we mm-hmm. said at the beginning of the conversation when we kind of paralleled it. Um, but yeah, I think the the big picture of this is back to the 99 and the one. Mm-hmm. I just want 100% of people to be in this house, to mm-hmm. be in the family. He was yeah. He was dead and now he's... He's alive again. Be happy yeah. in that. Don't worry about the inheritance. It's it's all of ours. Yeah, that is the real point is that it's all here. And, you know, I kind of take there's a piece of me that goes, you know what? Maybe this, you know, these holdings are so vast. It really doesn't matter if if the younger son gets a piece of it again, because there's so much nobody's going to miss it. You know, that kind of thing. So I'm remembering two things. I'm remembering the the um, the parable that Jesus tells about the the landowner who goes and hires day laborers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and some of them he hires at the very beginning of the day and they work all day, and then other people he hires partway through the day, and then other people he hires like one hour before closing, and all the people show up and they do the work you know, whatever, but at the end of the day, they all receive a full day's wages and they're annoyed. How, how dare you, how dare you pay the person who only came in at the end and worked for an hour, the same as me. Like I started at the beginning and that's such a human thing. Like the resources are finite. I have to be paid according to what I've put out. Right. Mm. So that's one thing that I'm remembering. The other thing I'm remembering is I, um, in the Middle East, this tradition of of the inheritance. So the firstborn son gets, t- you know, typically it's like a two-thirds, one-third. So the firstborn son gets two-thirds, and the secondborn son gets one-third of the estate. And so um, <laughs> it was an older son who did this breakdown. And so he was going to, he what I can't remember if he had already inherited or if he was going to inherit And he was saying, well, let's look at that. As the firstborn son, I have to care for the surviving mother, care for all of the women in the family who cannot inherit, you know, provide them Mm. with dowries and support them until they're married and do all of these things. So you tell me who inherited for. (laughs) (laughs) There's all these strings attached to mine. I've got all these extra responsibilities. The dollars might be higher, but they're not in my pocket. So there's, there's totally different ways of looking at this. And um, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Interesting. You see, well, there you go. See, when we start to look at it from that human perspective of, well, but, but shouldn't, uh, shouldn't I be getting more? And yeah. then when you, when you really look into that, you go, yeah, guess what? 
you end up with more responsibility. You end up with, you know, more things that have to be taken care of. Uh, and so are you, is this really something you want to gripe about? <laughs> and when we really look at the meaning of the story, when we really get down to the bottom of it, the point is, this is your brother. And we're going to treat him like he's your brother. This isn't just some some schmuck off the streets. This is this is your brother. He is family. We're going to treat him like family. And yeah, he is going to be entitled to everything that goes along with being family. And that's kind of the end of that story of of full inheritance brought back after after squandering everything and realizing the wrong and the way the father watched for him, the way he embraced him, brought him back in and celebrated his return. That's the point of, of the story. Have we exhausted this one? Anybody thought, got any last, last feelings or thoughts here that we haven't touched on? I have no thoughts. But she's right. But she's right. <laughs> oh that's awesome (laughs) well all right well uh next week i think we are going to look into uh luke chapter 16 for sure possibly 17 i doubt we'll get that far it's probably going to be luke 16 um because we're looking at more parables uh from there and Ooh, a big one. The parable of the unjust steward. That's going to be some interesting stuff to talk about there. So um, if you want to read up into Luke 17, by all means, do it. Uh, But uh, we'll probably be focusing on Luke 16 in our next episode. So while you are reading that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org, especially if you'd like a coffee mug. And uh, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends and family so that we can reach them too. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. We might have to ponder a new nickname for Karen, like maybe like Miracle Whip or something. Maybe get her a mug that says that. Miracle Whip, Karen. Huh? Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Oh, that's actually that's actually one of my best lines. Like in group discussions when I'm teaching SAP school or something like that, I'll say, um, somebody will speak up in class and they'll say, Well, I mean, these are just my thoughts, but blah, 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 blah. And I'll be like, Well. As a married male, you're probably wrong, but thank you for speaking up. Or (laughs) as a a married female, you're guaranteed to be right. So how can we shift our entire discussion now? And people just die, right? Because there's all these (laughs) quiet assumptions and the funny ways that households run. And it's just just a doozy. It just drops like a bomb into any conversation. It's so great. (laughs) Oh, the emasculation of men is just a wonderful thing. Reclaiming our manhood. That way it would be a problem, but I don't. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Makes me chuckle.